they have no wine in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So we, we see this uh, manifestation of our Lord. That's what the, the, the word epiphany means, the, uh, that which is from above. And our Lord, he came from above uh, to us here below. Uh, we saw his manifestation in the sign of the star which led the Magi, the pagans uh, of the East, uh, to him uh, in Bethlehem. And then we see the manifestation of our Lord on the, uh, the, that uh, feast uh, of our Lord's blessing uh, or being baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, uh, uh, where the Holy Ghost uh, comes upon our Lord and he manifests uh, our Lord as being the, the Word of God in our midst. And then today, in this public manifestation of our Lord's first miracle at the wedding of Cana. And from here on in, our Lord will do many manifestations uh, throughout his whole public ministry. Uh, and this will be uh, today the beginning of uh, his, public, his public life. And some, we today, uh, in the time where we live, we, we can see that uh, and we can pause and reflect maybe uh, where is the world today going uh, after so many years of the church, the preaching of the gospel, the, the, the many manifestations of our Lord in the life of the church throughout history? Where are we going today? We see a world which is becoming darker, blinder, more perverted. Uh, and yet, what are we to make of all this in the context of uh, today's Mass. What, what does it imply for us? And when we pause and reflect upon this, it uh, makes me uh, think about uh, what it would have been for the souls at the time of our Lord. Um, you know, many years ago, I remember reading a statement of a journalist, probably not even a Catholic journalist, and it made, it made a passing comment which which made me pause and reflect for a little bit. And their comment was, uh, we live in an age without heroes or gods. This is a rare phenomenon that has left society clawing for something or someone to idolize. And we, we have chosen actors. And that was probably a mistake. Well, actors, by the very fact that they just act, they're fake. And choosing fake people has made us fake. We live in a fake society, empty, blind, uh, hollow men. We see this all around us today. And it's that, that statement made me pause and reflect. They're so correct, but and we must admit today we live in a, in a as Catholics, our idols, if you want, uh, are our Lord, Our Lady, St. Joseph, but also the saints. They are our role models. They're the ones we, we should imitate. And we live in a time where we don't see, unfortunately, greatness. And in fact, on the contrary, those in the hierarchy who should be a great witness, to a greater extent, we dread every time they open uh, their mouths because they only either blaspheme or undermine our faith and make, make our world even worse instead of making it a better place. Well, this was somewhat the case, uh, uh, you know, before the coming of John the Baptist, the last prophet before John the Baptist in the Old Testament was 
the prophet uh, Malachi. And between the prophet Malachi and John the Baptist, there was a gap of 400 years. So 400 years time between Malachi and John the Baptist. 400 years where the Jews had no real prophetic voice to guide them. And uh, God, speaking through the prophet Malachi, would say, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi prepared the people's hearts. The Messiah will come. But it didn't come for another 400 years. And uh, uh, even uh, uh, prior to this, uh, you see the prophet Amos, who came shortly before Malachi, says of this great period of a gap, he says there will become a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor that of thirst for water, but of the hearing of the word of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. They shall not find it because there was no one to guide them. Yeah, there still was the priests, um, and there still was the, the high priests. As you, you know, and you see by the time our Lord comes, they had become, in general, pretty insipid, pretty perverted. Uh, so they weren't really much of a guide either for the people. And that's why you see by the time of our Lord, uh, all these other offsprings, uh, groups, the Herodians, the uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all trying to give a, a greater clarity for the people uh, of the Word of God, but at the same time, they themselves perverted uh, the Word of God. And in that time uh, gap, that's where you saw uh, the uh, after the death of Alexander the Great in the year 168 BC, uh, you saw that the king, Seleucus, uh, Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes, he began to uh, want to Hellenize, uh, which is to make the the empire of uh, Alexander the Great into a, a Greek empire, Greek language, uh, Greek culture, Greek customs. But a lot of this meant uh, it encroached upon uh, the religion of the Israelites and the culture and the custom of the Israelites, and it meant that their religion was going to be and their culture was going to be destroyed and perverted. And so you saw uh, Matthias, the priest, uh, 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 cause a, uh, bring up a resistance, a rebellion with the Maccabees. And they fought bravely and they conquered uh, a mighty army uh, uh, with their confidence in God and resisting the, uh, the cultural and the religious genocide of their time. And they fought back. Uh, God called them to be heroic despite the lack of the voice of the prophets in their midst. And this is what God is calling for us today. God is calling for us to be heroic in our time, despite the fact that there may not be a Padre Pio, a St. Anthony of Padua, in our midst today, that's for sure. And uh, we see, um, even in the time of the Maccabees, not everyone joined in the Maccabean revolt because a number of the Jews were were quite happy with um, the Hellenization of their culture. They wanted to blend in with the, the world around them. Uh, and so they, they weren't on, on board uh, with the Maccabees. Uh, they went along 
and they didn't mind the perversion. And so many Catholics today are the same. They kind of think, well, you know, it's not so bad, and it's kind of cool. Uh, the world is uh, fashionable, it's got some interesting takes on life, and there's no need to be too harsh or too, too narrow-minded or, or, or not to be so tolerant. We should just, you know, give in. And they, you see that the way they try to explain uh, all the evil ideas and all the evil actions of the post-conciliar popes, and not just Pope Francis with his uh, recent perverted statement, but all of the post-conciliar popes had perverted ideas, uh, agendas, which blended them in with the world, blends the church in with the world, and we are seeing this culminating in uh, today as pontificate. Uh, and finally, finally, you are seeing good, uh, solid bishops around the world saying, no, this is perverted, uh, this is wrong, we, we, we can't accept this. We have to be a witness uh, of the manifestation of our Lord in our time. Uh, we have to uh, put a demarcation between us and the world. We are there to sanctify the world and not the world to dictate to us its standards. Our Lord is the, the standard uh, of the world for us. And today uh, we have to pause and reflect. And in the time of our Lord when he came, the church in the time of our Lord was divided. Many looked for a political solution to the problem. King Herod uh, and all of his followers and supporters, uh, they looked for a political solution. While there were some who could see that this political solution, uh, because of the time of our Lord, the Roman Empire had finally decided that, that they were going to take over this, this little region of the world uh, and they were going to make uh, the Israelites as subjects of the Roman Empire. So some had definitely resented that and their reaction was the opposite. We, we are going to, to overthrow the Roman Empire and we are going to make them our subjects. So, and, and the designers still uh, follow this agenda to this day. Uh, we're going to make everyone our footstool. We, we're going to rule the world, a political rule. And there were others who said, no, this is not the path of our faith. The path of our faith is a, a spiritual rule from above guided by this message of the prophets uh, of God and their voice. Uh, and that's why you, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, uh, a lot of people hearing about John the Baptist uh, devoutly go to, not only to hear his voice, but to plead with John the Baptist to allow them to be uh, his disciples. And John the Baptist did not want any disciples. Any good man of God does not want followers. He's not about himself. He's not about creating a, a cult club, a fan club. He's just simply about living out the word of God as intended for him. But John the Baptist could see in the eagerness of these men the hand of God. And these men would become the first disciples of our Lord after the apostles. And they would become amongst the first to go and evangelize the world. Uh, because they were well spiritually formed already by John the Baptist. Our Lord would give them the rest of the formation himself. And then with the power of the Holy Ghost, they would be great witnesses to that gospel message of our Lord. And today, uh, today's gospel, there's such a very profound point that 
we can draw a lot from in relation to everything I've, I've just said. One thing is for sure, when we look at this gospel episode, um, from an outsider point of view, like for most people when they read the gospel, there's a lot they don't see. And in thinking on that, why is it that there's a lot that they don't see? And that is because, uh, you know, and you might have seen it in your own life, with people who love each other very much, the more they love each other, the more they know each other, the less needs to be communicated between them for them to express an idea to them. You know, sometimes, for example, you know, if you know your dad, you've been living with your dad, and dad often has to say very little, just, he just gives you a glare, and you know, well, no, that's not the right uh, path because dad's just given me that, that death stare. Um, so he didn't have to say a word, he just gave me that stare. Um, and that's a very beautiful thing. He didn't have to get angry, he didn't have to uh, become violent, or just give me a stare, that's enough. Because dad expresses that, that uh, that's not a good path, just by that stare. And this is the point in today's gospel. You see, there's very actually little exchange in words between our Lord and our Lady. And from an outsider, in fact, and I'm going to explain this point, the words exchanged between our Lady and our Lord seem extremely strange, and extremely odd, to say the least, uh, seem in, most, in some ways neurotic uh, in their exchange between their words. But that's because there's a lot that we don't understand, we don't see, because our Lord and Our Lady were of already many years by now, one heart and one mind. Our Lady doesn't have to say a lot to Our Lord, and Our Lord doesn't have to say a lot to Our Lady. They already know each other immensely well. Their thoughts, their sentiments are already one. And, and what's interesting in this whole scenario is Our Lady dares to do what in our modern world almost nobody dares to do. And that is to state the obvious. To state the obvious. Today, if you state the obvious, you know you get condemned, attacked. There's the elephant in the room. Oh, no, it's perfectly fine. The person's got no clothes on. Oh, no, great suit. Fantastic. No. But today, Our Lady, she states the obvious. They have no wine. And note that it wasn't Our Lady's role. She wasn't the mother of the person being married. She was just a guest, like our Lord, a guest. Uh, it's, not, it's not our business. It's not our role. Our Lady doesn't say it's my role or my business. Our Lady takes it as her duty to state the obvious, to come to the assistance of those in need. And today, uh, we have a major problem in the church, let alone in the world. And the hierarchy won't even state the obvious. And, and those today in the hierarchy who are stating the obvious, we see how they are condemned, attacked, persecuted. Um, and today, we know that what is being stated by the, the at least half good men in the church today, Archbishop Lefebvre already stated uh, 50, 60 years ago uh, what they're only discovering now. And we know how he was uh, for saying they have no wine, stating the obvious, so severely persecuted for that. Uh, today, the state of affairs in the world and in the church is beyond comprehension, insane. The extent of perversion. Who, you couldn't have written a book, 
You couldn't have written a book uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, even 10 years ago, where you would have stated what the Pope stated recently. You, people would have thought you're mad, insane. That'll never happen. This is the extent of the insanity we are seeing in the church, let alone in the world where people don't even know what gender they are. The extent of the insanity. Don't even know uh, how to define a gender. Uh, can you comprehend that? They lost their marbles totally today. And yet, uh, who's going to state the obvious? Who's going to dare uh, go against the trend of the insanity? Uh, what a perfect example is Our Lady for us. To dare to state the obvious. And Our Lady doesn't, in, in stating the obvious, notice she doesn't claim to have the solution. She points to the one who does have the solution. I don't have the solution. Archbishop Lefebvre didn't claim to have the solution. The church, our mother for 2,000 years, has given us the solution. Our Lord and his saints, they are the solution. Uh, our duty is not to have the solution. Our duty is to state the obvious and direct ourselves and the world to the solution. Our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the solution. Uh, I am not the solution. Archbishop Lefebvre is not the solution. The church, our mother, and by the church, I mean the church throughout the ages in handing on to us the ancient faith, not the novelty of the latest uh, idea coming out from uh, whatever insane person claims to giving us his novelty for today. That is not the church. That is their perverted idea. And this, this reality is for us becoming worse and worse. Because not only do we have a thousand and one million different uh, uh, enemies outside the church with all these false religions, uh, and then you see today uh, the uh, uh, attacks of the secular government, the world, and then you see the onslaught of the globalists and the, the, the disastrous financial situation uh, we are in, and the, uh, the, the constant pressure uh, materially from the outside, the heresies, all these, and then the church from within side is divided. A house divided against itself cannot stand. But see our Lord and our Lady, they are of one heart and one mind. And I insist on this point. Because a house where the mother and father are not one heart and one mind is a divided house. A parish where the parishioners and the priests are not one heart and one mind in union with our Lord and the constant teaching of the church is a divided church, a divided parish. So the same thing. Uh, a parish which is not in, uh, in union with all the other parishes and, and the, the hierarchy is not in union with the, the constant teaching of the church is a divided church. Uh, and that will create havoc and disaster for the church. And in the time of our Lord, it was like that. And what happened in the end? Well, that temple which they glorified in was destroyed. And it hasn't been rebuilt to this day. Uh, they lost their temple. And they, they didn't see the, the, the trees for the forest. Uh, because they were blind, blind leaders of the blind. And they both fall into the pit, says our Lord. And we see this today. And yet yeah, our churches, they are being destroyed worldwide. And they are being overtaken. Uh, some sold uh, to become restaurants. Some being given to the Mohammedans. 
who are still zealous for their perverted religion, but it's a punishment from God for our apostasy uh, from the faith. This is the natural consequence of our rejection of the faith, uh, a rejection of the unity. The true source of unity is the ancient faith. Each one uh, goes their own way. We have a pope who's basically a, a socialist communist, a, a mouthpiece for the United Nations destroying our faith. Uh, and, and the bishops failing to do their duty and state the obvious. Uh, yeah, we may not be able to depose the Pope, but we can say, Holy Father, what you're saying and doing is, is wrong. Uh, and, and you need to return to your duty, uh, remind him of his duty, and stand firm in that resolution. And to this day, thanks be to God, yeah, we have been doing this in the society uh, with all of our shortcomings and failings. And, and this is an important point, same thing in your families. If the, the mother and father and the children are all not united, uh, there's going to be a division and the disastrous consequence as a result. Uh, if we are united, we might not be able to convert the world, but we can sanctify our home. We can be a, a, a living witness to those who come in contact with us. And that's what we are seeing in today's gospel. Our, our Lord manifests his glory and they believed in him. Uh, our Lord, Our Lady says, they have no wine. And notice the exchange here. And I'll start to develop the point that I made earlier. Our, our Lord says to Mary, woman, what is this to thee and to me? What is it to, what, what's that got to do with us? What does our Lord call his mother woman? Because he's referring to her as the woman, the only woman spoken of, in relation to our salvation in the Old Testament. The woman of Genesis, where it said that I will put enmity between her seed and your seed, and she shall crush your head. She's the only woman, again, spoken of in the book of the Apocalypse. Uh, in the 12th chapter of uh, the Apocalypse, there's the woman uh, uh, clothed with the sun and the, the moon and the stars under her feet. Who's that woman? Uh, Our Lady the mother of salvation. Uh, what's it to you and to me? What business? Uh, why does our Lord respond like this? You might say it's a bit harsh. Say it's none of our business. And our Lord, lady is saying, actually, it is our business. Why does our Lord respond like this? Our Lord responds like this. In this conversation, we don't, as an outsider, grasp what our Lord is actually saying. What our Lord is saying to Our Lady is this, by, by me entering into this, by me working this miracle that you're asking, are you prepared for that reality? Because it's also going to usher in the age, the time where you begin to be the mother of sorrows. Do you understand what it is that you are asking? And Our Lady seems to respond by, again, not necessarily in words, by simply saying, this is what I was born for. This is what I'm on earth for. To be the mother of sorrows and give glory to God. I'm not afraid of this mission which we are about to usher in. You're about to become the man of sorrows because as you publicly manifest yourself, then you will start to be attacked and persecuted. As you start to be a contradiction to the world around you, yes, you are going to suffer. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be attacked. And eventually, yes, 
you are going to be crucified and die as a result of being the witness for which you came to give testimony of your father. This is very clearly implied. And what's very interesting is the way our Lord responds by saying, what is it to thee and to me? There's only one other place in the New Testament where our Lord speaks like this. Uh, and that is in relation to St. Peter, where the, the, the religious of the time said, our Lord, I noticed that you don't pay the taxes. So our Lord says to St. Peter, um, uh, so that they may not be scandalized, go to the sea and cast in a hook, and that the fish which shall come first, uh, uh, come and take that fish, and when you open its mouth, you will find a coin. Take that and give it to them for me and for thee. And commenting on this passage, uh, one of the greatest uh, biblical uh, commentators, Cornelius Alapere, explains that uh, the reason for this is that our Lord uh, makes an intimate relationship between Peter because Peter was to be the vicar of his church and household and destined by him to be the head and the prince of the rest of the apostles. So Our Lady is to be uh, the mother of not only our Lord, but also the mother of the church. And that's why, again, you see this point on, on when our Lord's on Calvary, where he's about to die. He doesn't say much, but one of the few things he does say, he says, woman, behold your son. Again, he calls her woman. And who's her son? John the, Bap John the Evangelist. But why is he saying that? He's saying uh, he's, she's the mother of all the church, the mother of all the children of God. But this intimate relationship between our Lord and Our Lady. Our Lord makes it clear. His mission and her mission are one mission. Her heart and his heart are one heart and one mind. And what does Our Lady say? Uh, do as he tells you. And those are the last words recorded in the New Testament that Our Lady says. Our Lady's role is to point us to our Lord. Our Lady's role is not to glorify herself. God will glorify her. God will magnify her. And she says this in the New Testament. My soul uh, doth magnify the Lord because he that is mighty has done great things to me. She's not ashamed to say this reality that my soul doth magnify the Lord because he that is mighty has done great things to me. He will magnify me and he does magnify me. Uh, but my soul magnifies the Lord. She points us to our Lord. Our Lord's grace, through her intercession, will sanctify, will transform us. And what's interesting is, this whole episode is extremely interesting, because she points to our Lord, and our Lord tells them to fill up the pots. Now, you know, we read this story, but think about it. They got no wine, and the, the, they... Um, our Lord says to them, just uh, bring me the pots and fill them with water. Be like, uh, imagine someone said that to you. There's no, there's no wine. Someone says, fill a, fill a, box, fill a carton of water. Uh, you think, uh, I'm not sure what he's on about. Is this guy insane? We need wine. We don't need water. Uh, and when we look at the, and this is a very important point, because when we look at our lives, when we look at the state of the world, it's pretty humdrum, to say the least. In fact, quite disastrous. Uh, because the last thing we need, contrary to what's been uh, 
told to us today by the hierarchy, the last thing we need is water. In other words, the last thing we need is humanism, ecumenism, communism, socialism, whatever ism. What we need is real Catholicism. And what we need is the supernatural. We don't need the natural. Jesus did not come to teach us how to become farmers, how to look after the environment, how to become a humanist, ecumenist, a, a naturalist, whatever you want. He told us to fill our lives with his grace, to, uh, to depart from the spirit of the world, to empty our souls from the evil of the spirit of this world, to fill us with the supernatural life of grace. And this is the only thing that will sanctify and transform the world. Today, the world has rejected that grace. It's returning back to barbarism, greed, savagery, uh, all the evils that we are seeing today. And, uh, you know, I will not mention a number of them from the pulpit. But all the perversions we are seeing are all because of naturalism, humanism, and all the other false isms and climate change and whatever, all these lies that are being pushed as a natural result of the rejection of the truth, the supernatural, which Christ came to give us. So we are in need of the supernatural. But our Lord tells them to go and fill the pots of water. Do what you can and what you must do. Our Lord sets that as a, as a necessary precondition for which he will not work uh, his miracle of grace. He expects us to do what we can do. Uh, he expects us to do what we are supposed to do. Today we have a world of bread and circus. We are not called for bread and circus, but we are called for eternal life. We are called, uh, you know, you get married. Well, you know, when you get married, you're actually called to look after your spouse. You're actually called to lay down your life for your children. Uh, most people enter marriage with a concept of, it's going to be great for me. If you enter into that, you're deluding yourself. And you'll be unhappy for the rest of your life uh, because you're about glorifying yourself. And everyone else and everything else will be seen as an inconvenience, an inconvenience. And how many clergy are like this today? They see the faithful as an inconvenience. Their duty to learn their faith, to study the faith, so they can hand it on to the faithful as an inconvenience. So all they study is the entertainment of the world, and they give them nothing but poison. Uh, they are fed solid dose of poison year in and year out. And you wonder why the, the faithful worldwide are perverted in their ideology, in the way they think, and the way they see and judge the faith and accepting of the so many perverted ideas in the world because it's inconvenience for them to do what they are supposed to do. How many people see their spouses, their children as an inconvenience? Well, you know, whatever disaster we have in our life, my response is exactly what Our Lady and Our Lord say today in the Gospel. Do what He tells you. In other words, we have to do what we can do. We don't have to change the water into wine. That's, him, that's his business. That's his role. It's not my job to solve the problems of the church. But it is my, my job to, to deal with my parish, to look after my parishioners, to assist them in their struggles. It is my duty to, to cooperate with my fellow priests, to work together for the good of the faithful. 
that is my job. I have to do that. The rest I have to leave up to God. That I have to do. Uh, we can sometimes get caught up in the badness of the world and forget, hold on, not about the badness of the world, not about the badness of the church. But you in your home, in your life, you have to do what you have to do, what you are called to do. And very often, and go back to this point I said, our Lord and our Lady, they knew each other's hearts and minds. Very often you see this with spouses. They, the, the wife knows how the husband thinks. She knows his intentions, his desires. The same thing, husband knows how his wife thinks. Uh, he knows her intentions and her desires, but they do the very opposite to spite them. Why? Because they are childish. Uh, they didn't consider me, so I'm not going to consider them. They take a childish response. I know what my parents expect of me, but I'm, I'm bitter towards them, so I, I'm not only not going to anticipate what they ask, I'm going to do the very opposite because uh, it's my childish way of getting back at them. And we become bitter and resentful. And we grow up to be morbid and bitter. That's all we do. And things get worse and worse. Uh, and then everyone shakes their, their hands in the air and they're angry. Well, think about it yourself. What's the response of our lady? One heart and one mind. The one heart and one mind doesn't say, well, you know, my spouse is like this or my parents are like this. The one heart, one mind says, I understand my parents, my spouse with their shortcomings and failings, but I have to be the better spouse, better person, better child. I have to do what I can to be of assistance, a blessing to them in their midst. And it's not to say I agree with everything they say or do, not that I, I like everything they say or do, or that I have to necessarily comply with everything they say or do. But what I do must have is one heart and one mind. And then once you have the one heart and one mind, it becomes a breeze, becomes a joy, becomes an honour, becomes a privilege. And you know, we all know how beautiful it is to live in a home like this, to work with somebody uh, in, in wherever where we work, where we are of one heart and one mind, where we don't have to constantly remind them or give them orders or tell them that Johnny just knows and he just does it because that's the beautiful person that Johnny is. That's how Mary was her whole life. Mary was just about, she was at a wedding. She was just about doing her duty as a mother, as a giver, as a lover, doing her duty. She's the one who calls out the problem. She's the one who seeks a solution. Uh, this is the problem today in the families, in the parishes, in the church. Uh, we have lost our, our sense of duty, of vigilance, of uh, being true lovers. We have become self-absorbed people who are hollow and empty, uh, following over, uh, after our own uh, self, self-seekers, instead of seekers of God and servants of God and his children. Our Lady gives us the solution. And our Lord points to the fact that we must do our duty. And if we do what He asks of us, He will transform us. He will sanctify us. Here, he, today we see in the Gospel, he, he changes water into wine. But notice what He does later on. He changes wine into His precious blood. Uh, we can't even change water into wine. But He changes water he changes wine into his precious blood. It's not enough for him just to give us uh, wine. And notice what he does. He doesn't just say, fill up one pot, six pots, which literally over thousands of bottles of wine. 
But the generosity of God, the beauty of God in, in uh, not only blessing them, but super overabundantly blessing these people. And this is what God will do for us in our time. It's easy for God in an instant to change uh, the, the world. That's, that he can do it. He can work miracles. But he won't work it if we don't want it. And, and today, let's face it, you know, I don't fear the enemies of our church. The greatest enemies of our church today are within the church, and they are the ones like the Pope, unfortunately. They are indifferent. They are indifferent to the teachings of the church. Let's face it, most Australians, it's not that they hate religion, they hate the Catholic faith, they couldn't give the hoot about it. And most of our faithful are the same. It's not that they, they don't care or they're anti our faith, our faithful. But they are indifferent. They're, we go to Mass, we're doing God a favour, and that's about it. But where's the zeal? Where's the fire? It's not there. There's no, they're not really even there. They just shrug their shoulders. Oh, oh well, there's no wine. Oh, well, things are bad. That's all right. Just go on with life. It's, it's okay. Well, that's, that's part of the problem. The evil of the indifference we see uh, in our hearts, in our attitude, in our outlook. Uh, how can I be a blessing? How can I improve things? Um, it's, it's taking the primitive pagan attitude. So what? We just go through life like this. It was Christianity that gave us, our Lord that gave us the beautiful world in which we live in today. If it wasn't for him and his coming and his blessing, transforming the world, we'd still be savages. A savage, perverted, uh, uh, primitive world. Thanks be to Jesus Christ and his transformation. So let us think about this, this reality for ourselves today. We can, we're starting a new year of grace and uh, uh, Lent is, a, uh, is upon us. What can I do to transform my attitude? The way I see things. And I, I think it's not so much a question of what you're going to do as far as the, the nitty-gritty things, but the attitude, the outlook in your home life, in your work life, uh, your attitude towards your going to church, whatever it is. Your attitude. There's something fundamentally flawed in our attitude. And as we approach Lent, let us start to think what resolutions I can take that is going to help me present our Lord with those that water, water uh, uh, filled pots, so He can transform it. And, and that's a very important point. You know, it's a good thing that we go to confession, it's a good thing that we um, are well aware of our sins, very good thing, important thing. But it's uh, not going to be beneficial unless we come with a true desire to present it to our Lord so he can help us. He can help us with our weakness. He can transform us by his grace. So today let us ask that of Our Lady to have one heart and one mind with our Lord, with the church, the church of all time, so that by this, by this beautiful spirit, this beautiful attitude, we may be transformed into that life of grace which leads us to that kingdom which has no end forever in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Ghost. Amen.